0: So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast. This is episode 379 for the 12th of Kislev in a leap year. I remember being told a story quite a while ago that served to illustrate the proper or at least the ideal relationship that a Hasid should have with his or her Rebbe, with his or her spiritual leader. And the way the story goes is that there are three different Khazarim who go in to see the Rebbe for Gilkhiris to have a private audience with the Rebbe. And each one of them, we can we can see from each one of them the various different spiritual levels that uh that one might have in terms of their relationship with the Rebbe. And as we'll th- see, these three men are all very good men. They're all very devout men, they're all very um, you know, connected men and very and and recognized. The the uh, the greatness of the Rebbe, but yet only one of them really gets it fully right. <clears throat> so how so the way that it goes is that the first Hasid comes in and he you know he has a private audience with the Rebbe, and the whole time he's just feeling so humiliated because he can't he's like embarrassed. He can't stop thinking about what a lowly person he is and all of the sins that he's done in his lifetime and how, you know, just uh impure and imperfect he is and everything like that. And he's embarrassed to see the Rebbe. And so he goes in to see the Rebbe and the whole time he's so caught up in being so embarrassed and he's so caught up in being so um you know just disturbed by his by his lacking and so inferior to the Rebbe that he actually doesn't hear a word that the Rebbe says. And he goes home and he leaves and Maybe that audience served to help him rectify his ways somewhat, but he actually didn't hear a word that the Rebbe said. So while maybe perhaps there's a slight merit in that, because maybe this this uh, experience will help him improve himself a little bit, it's not ideal, right? The second man goes in, the second man goes in to meet with the Rebbe for Yechidas, and this time, the this man actually does not focus on himself, so he's a little bit less self-focused, and he focuses on the rebbe, and he really, really is looking at the rebbe the whole time, and he's and he's just examining the rebbe and and basking in the glory of the rebbe. He can't take his eyes off of the rebbe, and he's just looking at the the piercing eyes of the rebbe, and the whole time he can't stop thinking about what a holy man this rebbe is, and just the radiance of God that that flows through the rebbe. This is it's just an incredible experience to be in this room, to have the privilege of being in the same room as the Rebbe. And once again, he is so mesmerized by the Rebbe that he actually doesn't hear a word that the Rebbe says to him. And so he goes home and he leaves and he maybe has a little bit of a spiritual uplift from the whole experience, but he doesn't actually do what the Rebbe says because he didn't hear what the Rebbe told him to do. So that's also not ideal. The third man Walks into the Rebbe's room, looks right at the Rebbe, listens to what the Rebbe tells him, nods his head, walks out, and does what the Rebbe tells him to do. And while this third man, the story of the third man is less glorious, and it's not as exciting, perhaps, as the first two, it's actually ideal. And this is actually described as the ideal relationship a chassid should have with the Rebbe because while yes indeed a Rebbe is a very spiritual being and going to see a Rebbe can be a very spiritual and intense experience in that way that's not the point the point is that we have the Rebbe here to give us guidance to give us practical guidance in how to live our lives and to um and and to tell us what we need to do The Rebbe often referred to his chasadim as soldiers, that just like soldiers, you know, they just like they do the command of their sergeant, you know, let's say, that's the same idea, that the Rebbe is like the captain of of the ship. He's He's running the army. Now, the reason why I bring this up and how it relates to today's Tanya is, as we'll see, there's a similar illustration that we can point to in the spiritual realms, lahavdil, in relation to God, where we see that the souls and the angels um, while they might get into a state of being really mesmerized by go- godliness, and we've described this before that they're in this state of like intellectual love and fear of God, nevertheless, by virtue of perhaps paradoxically, um, due to their spiritual enlightenment so to speak this spiritual enlightenment actually illustrates their separation from god because there is a them that is feeling spiritual and spiritually enlightened there is a an angel or a soul that's feeling love and that's feeling fear which which means that there's something separate from god versus true unity with god is less about emoting and like feeling very specific feelings about God, but it's rather just channeling go- godliness and and bringing about godliness into the world. What this looks like, really, as we've been talking about is performing God's mitzvahs because this is ultimately God's will. So as much as God enjoys when we love him and when we appreciate him and when we respect him and fear him and all of those things, his ultimate true will is that we do his will, is that we perform his mitzvahs. And part of performing his mitzvahs is also learning his Torah, which contain his mitzvahs and which contain God's wisdom. So, for context, we've been learning this essay four, this very long essay four, in Kunturs uh, Ahran, in the last pamphlet of the Tanya, and it's been a very intricate ride, a very uh, detailed, in it somewhat abstract and metaphysical ride. And today, we're actually going to be concluding the essay. And the discussion that we've been getting into has been comparing and contrasting different forms of service of God, namely uh, three main types of service of God. There's the service of God that involves um, our intention, cultivating different feelings like intellectual love and fear of God is kind of like the generalization for that. Then we have um, the type of relationship with God that we can cultivate through doing God's mitzvahs. And then we have a type of relationship with God that can be cultivated through learning Torah. And a lot of this essay was really focusing on the value of the performance of mitzvahs and how the performance of mitzvahs are really unique in the sense that the mitzvahs come from this unadulterated place of godliness and that, what, and that the, the, um, the sparks, the holy sparks that fell into physical objects through which we perform mitzvahs, uh, these are sort of like these little hints of godliness, these little pieces of godliness that we can directly tap into when we perform mitzvahs down here which is a much more direct way to connect with godliness than if we just use our own uh, internally generated feelings of love and fear alone. And then we started extending this idea of uh, performing mitzvahs into actually studying the laws. When we learn about the laws of the Torah, then this actually... um, can also tap us into this level because it's like learning about the laws is first of all it's a mitzvah in its own right to learn about these laws and to learn Torah but not only that when we learn about them we're actually really attaching ourselves or just attaching our brains to the brain which uh, which created these laws and we spoke about how this applies not only to learning about practical mitzvahs that we most likely are going to do like positive mitzvahs but it can actually apply to learning about prohibitions, even very obscure prohibitions that most likely will not apply to our lives. So you can review the past few episodes to really get back into, uh, to get into the details of all of that. But the main idea is that these, this Torah, especially the oral law that we've been talking about, the Mishnah and the Gemara are really the source of the mitzvahs. So they too have this like very direct godly aspect to them. Um, which is unadulterated and unfiltered the way that our love and fear um, uh, our, and the love and fear of the angels is a little bit more filtered. So now today, in conclusion to this section, the Ultra-Up is going to bring a teaching from the Arizal and the It Chaim that seems to throw a wrench into this whole argument. The basic argument being that, uh, that learning Torah is superior to, um, to our intention to our internally generated love and fear of God. Because, and this is where we're getting into the text now, the Altar Rebbe cites the Eit Haim, which was written by the Arizal uh, in the Sharia Chudim. And he talks about how different types of spiritual garments are created and, and what types of spiritual garments are created through different kinds of actions. So he says that Kavana, like intention, are internally generated in intention. This causes a garment of which is, referred to as a garment of, the, of a neshama, right? And neshama, if you recall, is the higher of the three levels, neshama, ruach, and nefesh. Neshama is the highest one. But yet when we study Torah, by contrast, then the garments that, that is generated through that is a ruach type of garment. If we study Mishnah to be more specific, then this creates a ruach deruach type of garment, which is associated with the world of yitzira because we know that the source of mishnah is from the world of yitzira and when we study gemara then we uh then we we generate a garment of a Ruach de Neshama, which is associated with the world of Bria, because the source of the gemara is in the world of Bria. so the, what's, what's seemingly strange about this, basically, in light of everything that we've been learning, is what it, what the time seems to be implying here is that learning Torah creates a garment which is inferior, which is lower in level than the garment which we create through our intention because the garment of the ruach is lower than the garment of the neshama, right? So the altar of explains, he gives one explanation for this, and he says that the explanation for this is uh, very simple. It's that this reference to... The garments that is created through Torah, this is the Torah that a person studies in this world that li- that rises up above. Meaning to say that it's like we when we study Torah with our intellectual and uh, limited minds, then yes, it's go- going to be a limited experience. And so, thus, the garment that we're going to create is only going to be a garment of a ruach. It's not going to be this garment of a neshama. But if we talk about the actual Gemara and the Mishnah itself, the actual Talmud itself, the Oral Law itself, that came from from um, Harsinai, this is on the level of the Neshama, um, which gives it the ability to rectify the level of Ruach. And so to the Meshna in the world of Yitzhira. Okay? So that's the simple kind of explanation that the ultra-Rabbi gives, is that when the Yitzchim is referring to the fact that the Torah creates a garment of Ruach and the Kavana creates a garment of Neshama, it's, it's referring to the fact that, yes, when we study Torah with our... Like puny intellects, basically, then we're creating a, a, a garment of a ruach. But the source of the Torah, the the um, the Gemara, the gamara and the Mishnah that we're learning itself, that comes from a place of neshama, which allows our ruach to become rectified. But then the ultra brings a second. Uh, reason why this could be what a second explanation for what's written in the Yitzchim and he says that even if a person says like let's say a person says no it's actually that's not true and that we want to take the time a little bit more literally and say that the that the oral law which we received on Har Sinai that meaning the Mishnah and the Gemara that we received that they actually are sourced in the Ruach level of Bria and Yatira, then He says that we shouldn't think of this as like, we've been associated this level of ruach and the levels of the Bria and as being associated with created beings like the angels and the souls, right? So we've been talking about that in the past couple of episodes, that that's the level of created beings versus at which is the level of emanated beings. So he's going to show us that it's not that simple and that there's actually a way by which this place, this space of Ruch and this space of Bria can actually hold a space for more emanated kind of beings too, that are more vital to God, that are, that don't really have their own... Existence of their own. So to explain this, he starts talking about angels, and he says, like, if if you look at angels in with throughout uh, Torah, throughout the Bible. Most often when we think of angels, then angels have different names, right? Like there's the angel Michal, the angel Gabriel, all kinds of different angels. They're referred by very specific names. But there are times in the Bible that angels are actually called by God's name and they kind of sound like they're being synonymous with God. And we know that angels aren't God, right? They're different than God. But yet, so why is it that angels are sometimes called, called by God's name? So the reason why is because there are times when angels fulfill their mission so Purely and so with such betel, such a sense of nullification that they actually channel God completely. Just like the the example of the Chosad that goes in to meet with the Rebbe and, and his whole entire being is at that moment just there to perform the Rebbe's will so he doesn't get caught up in his thoughts and his insecurities and all that kind of stuff. He just goes in, listens to what the Rebbe wants, leaves and does that mission. So too angels that when they're on that level of total nullification to god they just fulfill god's will in a fully channeled way and thus they actually are referred to by the name of God. So they're they're like pure channels in that way. Versus when we talk about angels in a more simple kind of way, like angels that do go go by different names, then we know that we talk about angels and we say that angels actually all day long they're they're um they're chanting kadosh, kadosh, kadosh hashem tfakot, chule. So it's like they're saying holy, holy, holy is God. So this sounds like they're being very lofty and they are but the fact that they're saying very, they're saying holy, 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 kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. It actually is a declaration of their separateness from God, because we know, first of all, the the on a simple level, it's like they're saying, they're saying how holy God is, just like again, the the chassid, who's saying how holy the rebbe is. So he's showing a difference between him and the Rebbe. And also in general, this word kadosh implies separation. It implies sanctification, something that's separate, that's distinct, that's different, um, that's set aside for something else. So so here we see basically the main idea that this level of ruach, this level of, which is the abode of the angels and the abode of the souls, yes, it, it is a place of created beings, but yet it can also serve as a channel for this more pure kind of channel, this, this, uh, this pure godliness that is, that does serve, that does kind of have that same feeling of the emanation that kind of does channel this at kind of thing. And so, and this is exactly what happens when we're talking about the Talmud, when we're talking about the, the Gemara or we're talking about the Mishnah, then it's then yes, the Gemara and the Mishnah, maybe we could say that their abode is in Bria and Yitzhira and within even the Ruach of Bria and the Ruach of Yitzhira, but in a way of being a total shliach, in a way that they're being total emissaries, meaning that they are actually the kelim of Nukva of They're actually the vessels of the the Malchus Vetzilis. So they are... At Silas, like their being is emanation, their being is not, um, you know, Mishnah and Gemara are not created beings, they're not something distinct from God, they're emanations from God's will and wisdom, uh, but yet they're being manifest within these worlds of Bria and Yitzhira in a Ruach kind of way. And to be more specific about how this is, then uh, then we know that the um, the the vessels, right? The vessels of Nukhvavatcellus, the vessels of Malhasvatcellus. We've spoken about this before. That there are actually. Three different types of vessels. So, just like if you think about a cup, there's like the outer layer of the cup, then there's like the cup itself, which we can think of as like the middle layer, and then there's the inside of the cup, the inner layer of the cup. So, so too all of the vessels of Atzilas have these three levels to them. There's three layers, and so the um, the Gemara is associated with the outer layer of the of these vessels. The uh, Mishnah is associated with the middle layer of these vessels but they're all coming from the vessels of Atzilus, and they are all coming from what's known as yesod abba which is uh receiving from the chokhmah stima the the hidden chokhmah of a anpin through in which god himself is vested so that's some Kabbalistic terminology but the basic idea is that it's saying that um that 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 what they're channeling, what they contain within them, is God's will and wisdom itself. That's the, so the um the arich anpin is that place that's associated with God's will. And God's will is is very much one in the same with him it's you know he's he's not separate from his will it's not like just like one of his attributes it's like god's will is is him in a manifest way and so thus what this means is that we find that god himself is actually dwelling in the ruach of the breads here in the mikra in the mishnah and the talmud so in scripture mishnah talmud in the basically in the torah in all the aspects of the torah the written torah and the oral torah so basically the point is that it's not so simple when we say that like the the residence the home of of um of the Torah and of the Gemara and of the Mishnah are in this level of ruach and the Yetzirah, This might sound like that we're kind of like diminishing it, and we're saying like, oh, they're just creating creations like everything else. No, they're actually very. Um, they're they're yes, they're found in that world and they're found on that level, but in a way that they're just um, that they're like emanating, they're like representing God there, but in a very pure and emanated way. And so thus, what this means, what this, the implication of this, the practical implication of this is that when we study Torah, what we're doing is we're drawing down God himself into this world. Uh, so that this world will become totally nullified in God's light. And this is actually the whole entire purpose of our, of our existence. This is in, uh, a citation from Eicha chapter 12, verse 13. This is the whole man. This is all of man. And this was actually the whole spiritual service of Rabbi Shimon Baruchai and all of the Tanaim and the Amoraim when they st- uh, studied the revealed aspects of Torah, what they were doing, it was a very lofty thing. They weren't just like sitting there and engaging in intellectual study, just like for the fun of it. They were actually drawing down God's light down here into this world. And it caused the purification of the Klippas Noga of those, those uh, sparks that fell down here. Um, and, and this, this is the effect of Torah study throughout this whole time of exile that we live in, in which the, um, the tree of good and evil um, rules over the world where we know that the this time this time of exile the way that it's referred to and we've spoken about this previously this is a time when man rules over man where it's like this time of strife and war that's the nature of exile that we live in and and this is actually the whole point of the entire socialists the entire like descent of all the spiritual worlds and levels and everything like that it's all in order for God to have a dwelling place down here in this world, um, in order to elevate everything here in this world so that they will be It's to, called to unite everything in unity, like to really uh, manifest the true unity of reality down here. So now to contrast this with the service of the angels, the service of the malachim. So going back to the service of the malachim, what's the service of the malachim? The service of the malachim for the most part, and again, this is not talking about those malachim that are sent down into the world or through the worlds and have a very specific mission and they just do it with total sense of bitol of nullification. But for the most part, what's the service of the malachim? The service of the malachim is to be engaged in intellectually generated love and fear of God. And this intellectually generated love and fear of God, which the malachim do and which also many souls do also, uh, they um, this, this does not draw anything down. This is a lifting upwards. This is just like a going, a departure of the light where the light is lifting upwards. And so this service of the angels, this service of the angels is, is can is more in that realm of the ruach that we've been that we understood on a more simplistic level of that level of of a created being as opposed to an emanated being, and this is now why we can understand. There's a teaching that uh, that is taught that whenever a person learns Torah, without even if they don't have proper intents, they create malachim, they create angels because uh, for ex nihilo angels uh, are created something from nothing. Because if a person is studying Torah from more of a limited kind of space, uh, where they're not in this like total, you know, nullification to God at all, um, then then it's associated with the level of Ruach, because Ruach is not fully nullified in that way. But yet, a redeeming factor, and this is how the Altarabba concludes here, is that nevertheless, we do know that angels are often called by the name of God. And this is because God actually does dwell within them. Um, and they have that ability to channel godliness in a in a complete and full way. And this will suffice for the understanding, says the Altarabba, which is kind of like a little hint, hint that I know this is cryptic, and I've, it's purposefully cryptic, and there's a lot more here to study and to be uncovered. So, This is so that's the idea, and um, and and so just in conclusion, so this is the conclusion of essay four. The basic conclusion of essay four is that the purpose of learning Torah is not to just learn Torah and lift high up and become more and more spiritual and spiritually enlightened and develop greater fear and love of God. Sure, those are great things. And those are good, uh, good and lofty endeavors on the one hand. And we do want to kind of improve ourselves spiritually and become more spiritually refined. But the ultimate purpose of the Torah is actually to draw down godliness here into this world. Just like going back to that analogy of the Rabbah and the Hasid, when the Chassid goes in to meet with his Rebbe. Yes, it's very nice if he gets like a spiritual uplift from the the experience and feels inspired. But ultimately, the real purpose is to leave that meeting and do the rep as well, do what he needs to do. And so this is the whole point. The whole point of our world is to make a dwelling place for God down here. And part of that involves learning Torah because when we learn Torah, what we're doing is we're actually drawing down God's wisdom here and making it into a reality down here. Especially, most especially, but not only when we're learning about practical mitzvahs because then we see it more overtly, but really in general, because it all is coming from that source, that, that place of the wisdom of God and the will of God. So when we tap into that, then we're tapping into the source of everything and we're making it revealed down here. So that's it for today. Very exciting. We finished this essay and we're going to move on to the next essay, essay five of Kuntru's Ahran. We're nearing the end of the Tanya, the cycle of the Tanya. Bear with it. We have a few more days left. I know these are really difficult um, sections, but if we get over this hump, we can begin anew and hopefully the rest is going to be like easy, breezing, breezing, from there on so stick with it and we will continue tomorrow and i will speak to you then thanks for listening to the it is top podcast hosted by sarit switzer this podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather abraham Yitzchak ben Binyamana cohen of blessed memory music by shoshana